Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. It's Laura Gregg and my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. I am really excited about this episode because we are going to talk about compliance. Specifically, we're going to talk about (laughs) a new rule that the SEC is proposing. We are recording this at the end of December, right before the comment period ends. But we're going to be talking about the rule to the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this rule would prohibit registered investment advisors from outsourcing certain services or functions without first meeting specific investment requirements. Laura, this show used to be fun. I saw the questions. I was like, ah, we've talked about deepening client relationships and growing your practice. Why do you want to bring us down on this? (laughs) Well, David, we're going to make sure it continues to be fun. And (laughs) we'll talk about this new proposed rule and actually how it enabled us at FlexShares to get more media mentions of our race to scalability survey. (laughs) All right. That's fun for me. Uh, But (laughs) but seriously, I think that this rule, if it goes into effect, uh, will have a big impact actually on client relationship building. And I'm thrilled to be welcoming back our friend, Paul Binion, to the show. Paul is Chief Revenue Officer at Hanlon Investment Management. Uh, This is your second time on the show, I believe, Paul. And he's here to help us kind of dig through that recent SEC proposal and what it might mean for advisors outsourcing investment functions and the clients of his firm specifically. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, David. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Well, Paul, I know you've been on the show before, and we really do appreciate you joining us again. And as is common for our shows, we really like to begin by not only digging into the rules and regs that we're talking about here today and what that will mean, but I'd also like appreciate it if you would share with us your background in the industry and your interest in investment management outsourcing. Yeah, thank you, David. So, um, and that, that is important because obviously the level of experience or expertise of anyone sharing any kind of thought is pertinent. So I've, I've been in the business for about 33 years. I spent, uh, before I joined Hanlon, which would be three years, February of next year, so almost three years, I spent 27 years at a firm in Philadelphia where I was on the leadership committee, national sales, strategic planning, and the like. Digging into, uh, and remember this is back in 1991, I started with that firm, digging into kind of where this industry was going, what did advisors want and need, and really just as importantly, what did their clients want and need? which has kind of led us to this conversation today. Um, Mm. Live in Philadelphia, and one of the, I think, benefits I have in what I do is I'm both a player coach here at the firm, so I'm not just creating policy, strategically aligning with our partner advisors, but also I'm working with advisors on a team myself. Uh, I've always been a player coach. I was for 27 years with my past firm, so I think that gives me somewhat of a unique situation in being very uh, in tune and very uh, aware on a daily basis as to what the needs are. And 
where the shortage is, where, where, where the shortcomings are in this industry. Yeah, being a player coach is not always easy. So I, uh, I am like that myself in terms of working with our marketing group. And I, I actually love it because I get to have that perspective of what it takes. And so I, I appreciate what, what you, you're doing. So over the last 12 years, Northern Trust and FlexShares, we have been researching the trends in investment management outsourcing, as you know because you've been actually involved with this. And so in these surveys, oftentimes the reasons that advisors choose to outsource is we've heard it's typically based because they are looking for more time in their schedule, whether it's time to spend with clients or even time for business development. So now you have the SEC proposing this rule that I'm guessing many advisors may believe will actually take more time out of their busy schedules. I'm curious what you've been hearing from your advisor clients. So what's a little concerning, David, is we're not really hearing much from the advisors, which leads me to believe that they don't have a clue there's even a ruling that's about to be adopted. By the way, Mm. the five-person commission uh, only voted three to two to pass moving forward, so it wasn't like it was unanimous. But that's an issue. And and so was best interest, what they referred to as the BIC ruling that came into conversation a number of years ago that was really not even enacted until recently. And even then it wasn't really enacted to any level of what it was thought it would be. So I think that's, that's a concern that no one knows about it. I also have a feeling probably more personal than professional that this is almost a move back in a way to the brokerage days where the broker made investment decisions for the client And I think we have to be very careful that this is not that slippery slope leading us back into that because I just don't believe professionally that that's actually the model that the SEC wants. They do not want necessarily the advisor being the money manager making decisions because advising today, as as we talked about in our last podcast, the scalability of uh, advisors outsourcing is that advisors have so much more they need to do today, planning, income planning, financial planning, insurance they don't have the time or expertise to be actually actually be the money manager. And that that could be the unintended consequence here. So we have to be very careful. So Paul, I think it might be helpful, especially in light of your saying that uh, you don't think that perhaps a lot of advisors understand uh, what's being discussed. Uh, maybe we could summarize at a high level, promise not to read the whole thing, but let's summarize the proposed rule and then get some of your initial thoughts on how cumbersome you think this might be for advisors who have leaned into using third parties to manage client investment accounts. So I'll start this again. I'll just go through this really quickly, but I think it'll be helpful. So the SEC is proposing a new rule under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940 to prohibit registered investment advisors from outsourcing certain services or functions without first meeting some minimum requirements. And some of those minimum requirements include uh, that the rule would require advisors to conduct due diligence prior to engaging a service provider to perform certain services or functions. Uh, number two, it would further require advisors to periodically monitor the performance and reassess the retention of each service provider. Uh, the SEC is also proposing corresponding amendments to the investment advisor registration form to collect census-type information 
about the service providers that are defined in the proposed rule. And then the SEC is proposing amendments to the Advisors Act books and records rule, which includes a new provision requiring advisors that rely upon third parties to make and or keep books and records to conduct due diligence and monitoring of that third party and obtain certain reasonable assurances that the third party will meet certain standards. So I'm not in this in the day-to-day, but that seems like a lot. And I'm curious, you know, what you think about that, Paul, how overbearing or not overbearing might this be if the rule goes into uh, enforcement as it's written today? Well, there's so many different paths we can take on this conversation here. One of them is most advisors believe that the SEC's already got too much um, happening in the advisor's world as far as due diligence and keeping records and the requirements by their broker-dealers and so forth. That being said, I think some advisors, the ones who have the more innovative practices will find this, the ones who've been really kind of doing this anyway as their fiduciary responsibility. Because remember, that's not changing. The, the advisors always had fiduciary responsibility. The whole BIC conversation increased that responsibility. This only theoretically increases it more. So I don't think it's overburdening necessarily for many advisors, especially the ones we work with at Hanlon. I think, however, in general, it's going to be very overburdening. What's really interesting about this is the last conversation I heard about the SEC was them starting to scrutinize the broker-dealer platforms where an advisor was literally charging 1% almost in lieu of a commission. So as you, we all know this business has morphed relatively quickly from commissions of 8.5% to 4 to C-shares to whatever shares to now fee-based. That's a move in the right direction. But the problem is there's still many advisors out there using the fee as a sort of C-share commission. And the SEC uh, was frowning very heavily on advisors parking securities assets on a platform and never doing anything uh, ever, just collecting the 1%. I think this is what this is. It's an addressing of that concern. But now it's talking about the advisor doing due diligence on the money managers on the platform when, in essence, the broker-dealer already claims to be doing that. It's why broker-dealer platforms exist. It's why broker-dealers exist. Their job primarily is a compliance oversight. So I don't know if the FCC is saying that on top of the broker-dealer oversight, they're now going to require each advisor to oversee. But what's interesting even further is if we have the the right relationship, as I believe we do at Hanlon, a more of a partnership relationship, less a distribution relationship. Um, And because we're smaller and we have the ability not to work with 21,000 or 12,000 advisors, this is what most of the people we're working with already do with us. Uh, they're not going and saying, well, you're approved by my broker-dealer, so I'm calling you, let's do business. They're digging in. They're seeing, you know, uh, they, they want the more curated, more hands-on relationship. So I think this actually plays into our favor a lot, although I do still think it's a slippery slope on the whole concept of what is due diligence. It, does an advisor, is an advisor required to, to visit the actual firm and meet with the money managers, is that the due diligence or is it, I need to keep the fact sheets? I'm not sure that's been clarified yet. So Paul, what you're, you're saying is that the SEC is, is proposing is what advisors should have been focusing on all along, especially as it relates to their fiduciary duty. 
So with that said, for the naysayers, how much can an outsourcing solutions provider like Hanlon assist with the due diligence process that the SEC is proposing to make it as efficient as possible? Great question, David, because in essence, our value proposition at Hanlon to advisors in this partnership concept is to absolutely help them leverage their book, uh, leverage their time, leverage their expertise into a knowing, caring, experienced relationship. So again, uh, we can pretty much do most, if not all, of what an advisor needs. So an advisor says, Paul, I need you to get every single money manager uh, into a file and provide me with the fact sheets for every single portfolio you offer, done. It's already there. It's already available to you. I need to have a phone call with you guys. So whatever it is, we're in a position because of our size and our approach that we're already there. And that, quite frankly, this plays, as I said earlier, into our hands. It allows us to add more value and more of a concierge service. I think, however, in general, it could be challenging because while technology has been pervasive in our industry, no industry really has grown more technology-wise and promoted technology and spent more money on technology than the advisory business. I don't know how able the bigger firms will be able to pivot. If I have a platform with 4,000 managers, hmm. 4,000, that's about 400 managers, um, what can I do if everybody who uses my platform is a self-shopper like Amazon? They're just coming and buying. In other words, I'm not doing anything except using technology to create a shopping center for those people. I think therein lies the SEC's concern is most of the platforms nowadays are very large, uh, where it's, it's, it's yeah. more of a um, five or six big players in the business who are using technology to bring the information to the advisor. And I think the SEC is concerned that the advisor may not either know how to use all that technology or there isn't the hands-on. And I think perhaps this is where this is coming from. You get paid 1% to basically outsource things yes. and think mandating that they do the money management themselves isn't what the SEC is saying. If you are going to outsource, you have to at least act like you are doing something for the 1% you're charging, and we'd like to see you do more fiduciary oversight. I, I think that's a good idea. Paul, I was speaking with somebody who is a principal of a technology firm providing a lot of uh, back office services, and and his read of this was that the rule, it was as it was written now, not passed in, in enforcement yet, but that it was putting the onus on advisors to understand all of the risks, all of the things that could go wrong or awry with the technology. And he said, you know, I mean, his point of view made sense. He's like, so I can try to explain that to all of the advisors who use our firm, but they won't be able to understand it because, you know, it gets in the weeds of all of that technology and the programming. I wonder if he was just viewing this in the worst possible lens. And if you think that the SEC would actually go that granular on, on the requirements or, you know, is it something, you know, maybe a little less onerous? I think it's a little less onerous. I don't think the SEC's intention here is to put the independent financial advisor out of business by telling them you, you really can't outsource. You need to have such a connectivity that it's almost like you're insourcing. I don't, I don't think that's the proposition here. I think what the proposition here is, it's, I think it's a warning shot for one. And it's telling the independent financial advisor, you can't simply outsource and walk away 
and act like you've done your job as a fiduciary. That's, we're not going to let that fly. We're not going to let you hide behind the broker-dealer telling you they've done due diligence or the platform telling you they've done due diligence on the manager. You cannot do that. You have a fiduciary responsibility. You're being paid to do this. You cannot simply buy and walk away. Remember, the whole move to, to advisory away from commission base was to create a more planned, more involved relationship with the client, one that was more valuable. If you're just basically hiring five managers on a platform, getting paid 1%, and you don't do anything else, that's no different than buying five mutual funds with a 4.5% commission, right? So the idea here is work with firms that have a very, very high level of uh, involvement with the advisor, both on the educational side, uh, on the contact and communication side, uh, that would allow you to fulfill most of what this rule's intention is. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not reading the legalese. But I can pretty much tell you the intention of this rule is to stop advisors from just charging a 1% commission, what they're calling advisory fee, acting like they're doing something valuable when in essence they're not. And I think that's exactly what the SEC is saying. That they're not going to stand for that anymore. You better show that you've added value. You better show that. So for instance, if someone says, how do I do that? Very easy. One, we host three to four times a year quarterly partner meetings where we invite partners and advisors of ours into certain locales around the country for a, basically what amounts to two-thirds of a day to revisit why and the what and the how. We invite money managers to be at the meeting talking, those kind of things that we do. And other firms do them also, uh, will be important. Uh, making sure that uh, the level of contact between us as a firm at Hanlon and the advisors is active. It's not like we react when you call us but we're too busy to have a relationship with you. I think those are going to be things the SEC is going to want to know. They're going to want to have you document, you know, maybe how many times you talk to the firm you're working with and, and perhaps those kind of things. Again, I don't know the actual ins and outs of each piece of this, but I think the intention is moving in the right direction. But as I said earlier, they've got to be very careful that we're not slipping into where well, we really don't want advisors managing client money because that's taking us back to the days, or sorry, we don't want advisors outsourcing client money management. We want it in source. I don't think that's any way an intention of the SEC in this ruling. And again, as you said earlier, Laura, this is just the beginning. Uh, the big rule took on multiple shapes and interpretations before it actually was realized. And by the way, when it was first pr proposed, that ruling had everyone completely losing their minds over what the extent of it would be. Uh, and the compliance costs and all that. And it really never truly materialized to anything like what people thought. Yeah. And just for our listeners, we're, we're recording on uh, December 19th. So probably when this gets published, um, we'll have more insight into uh, what the actual rule is shaping up to look like. Um but I'd like to get in, dig in just a little bit deeper on the new proposals around the books and records requirements. And maybe you've covered this a bit. So um, I'm just curious, you know, is that too something that most of your clients are already doing? And is it something that Hanlon and firms like Hanlon can make more efficient for your clients to, to manage? Well, as they say, Laura, the devil's in the details. And right now we don't have detail, even something digging in with a specific conduct due diligence prior to engaging certain service providers to perform certain covered services and functions. The word certain tells us they don't really know what that is, or maybe this is just a, a brief. Um, so I think we don't know what 
they're asking to be done. But I, I can, you can rest assured that advisors who take their job seriously, who outsource with the intent to basically leverage but not to give away functionality is going to be an important uh, element. Those firms that can show an active participation with the platform or outsourcer they're working with, I think, serve a much better chance of being in compliance than someone who says, well, I haven't talked to someone in a year. I will tell you, we heard firsthand about a year ago from an advisor we were working with that their broker-dealer platform was requiring their advisors to move money on the platform at least once a year, once every six months, once every quarter, just to show that they were doing something for the 1% they were owning, you know, that they were being paid. Uh, and the whole idea that what we refer to as re- reverse churning is kind of comical because it's like we went from churning an account to be wrong to now where we're like, you have to move an account to be right. <laughs> the answer I think is what's happening in this industry is outsourcing to credible platforms that are involved in helping the advisor do their job, not necessarily taking the job from the advisor. So Paul, I'm going to take the focus back to, to your firm and beyond the investment functions that you provide for clients, what else can advisors take advantage of by choosing to work with a third-party solution provider like yourself? Well, Dave, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a 60-year-old baby boomer hmm. with a whole bunch of baby boomer friends. And I can tell you what we want. And I can tell you firms offering that are going to succeed. And that's really where we, what we should be looking at. Investors want planning. They want income planning. They want financial planning. They want legacy planning. They want insurance planning. And they want tax planning. There isn't, a, there isn't an American out there with money who doesn't think taxes aren't an issue. There isn't a baby boomer who doesn't think that having an income plan that's written and personal is not important. And I think firms that do that, that's exactly what Hanlon does. When I was with my prior firm, that was a big uh, initiative of myself. And ultimately, the firm was to become more of a planning. My last firm was owned by a CFP. Hanlon is owned by a CFP. I think it's a very important distinction because most firms are not. They're just basically large warehouses, i.e. Home Depot uh, or Lowe's, where you as an advisor shop. And I think that's partly where this whole uh, ruling's coming from. Mm. Uh, but So planning is very important. Um, obviously, the ability to communicate in a functional way with a client. So more and more advisors are asking uh, firms like us to be with them and helping explain. Uh, obviously, cost efficiency is super important because as we get older as a population, we want to spend less because the more we spend, the less we have. And so having a lower cost concierge type uh, approach is very important. Technology obviously is not going away, but uh, I've always been concerned that technology becomes an excuse for not having personal service. You know, it's the, it's the 1-800 number, David. We, we, you know, it, nothing more mm-hmm. aggravating than calling a firm and you get the 800 prompts that take you through four minutes of trying to figure out who you talk to only to take you back to a person who asks you what you want. <laughs> right. Kind of like, well, couldn't we have just started there with a switchboard like the old days? So I think that's the kind of thing. And, you know, obviously making a, uh, an advisor's life efficient and time effective. We, we, we've covered that in our last podcast. Allows the advisor more time because that's really what's key here is rule number one is know your client. You can't know your client if you're too busy trying to manage the money or too busy trying to find the technology are too busy walking around an 800 number trying to find someone to talk with. So one of the things we're doing at Hamlin is we're trying to put as much time back in our partner advisor's day 
so they can actually spend that time with the client, getting to know what, how they feel about money, not just how much you have and how much do you want, but what is your relationship you have with money? Okay. And how should you time segment your money? You know, what should be in bucket one versus bucket five? How should you position your clients? Well, you cannot do that from a risk profile. You need to do that with conversations. And I think firms that do that are going to be the ones that excel uh, and ones that can leverage that will excel also. You know, Paul, and I know you're aware of it because you invited me out to talk about it uh, a couple months ago, but we've done this behavioral research, which, you know, as you say, it's, it's all about understanding who your clients are. There's just, there's never a one size fits all way to approach your client base. Each person is different. They have their own money stories. They have their own past experiences. But, you know, we found in that wallet share research, which we'll have the link in the show notes, but, you know, we found that investors or clients actually kind of soared into five unique personas and and just, you know, it takes time to under to get to know your clients well enough to understand what's dry, you know, what their emotions are, what's driving those those emotions and how that shows itself in terms of how they want you to invest and also how they want you to relate to them as a client. Very much so. Laura, this this industry, in my opinion, is becoming extremely focused on the psychology of the money and, and how people relate. Uh, I don't think it's as much about just growing the money. I mean, when you think about the size of the, dem- the demographic grouping of the baby boomers, uh, these folks, for the most part, have made the majority of the money they're going to make. That's a bold statement because most of them are going to live into their 80s. But the heavy lifting of growth and and buying index funds and trying to save there and just indexing the markets and, and stepping away and not worrying about it is more of a, a mindset for a, a, a 20 to a 40, 50-year-old. At 60, it's different. It's uh, now becoming very, very astutely aware of how I'm going to use the money. What is the sequence of timing of each bucket? Um, you shouldn't treat all your money as if it's one bucket, and not, not because it's qualified differently, IRAs, Roth IRAs, trust accounts, but because each bucket will be used at a different point in your time and probably should have a different risk profile and be treated completely separate. And that requires more of a psychological background. Um, in fact, when I was when I created the uh, tutoring program and mentoring program, the summer program at my last firm, we talked a lot to the college students about caseload, what kind of cases, what kind of a course load, I should say, what kind of courses they should take. And while finance and accounting and, and, and that's important, what's also important is human psychology and psychology, because it's very important to know, again, um, how scared people are of wealth. What's interesting is the more you have, the more you worry about it. Unless you've got so much that you don't worry, then, then the biggest risk there is just being unhappy because there's nothing to achieve. There's a lot to be said about advisors who have a mindset of that psychology. But one could also argue, how do I have that focus if, if I have got to manage my client's money also? How do I do both? And so that's where the outsourcing to some degree came from. The, the growth of the baby boomers, the aging of the baby boom population has matured this business to a point where we stand today with the SEC now concerned about, well, maybe clients are paying a fee and getting that much in return for it. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you know, you know, we've been doing this research for 12 years in the the early days, 2009, 2010, if uh, advisors were outsourcing 
they're outsourcing everything. Then we had that really long bull market run and people got more confident and they started taking bits and pieces in for a variety of reasons. Some they just love to manage certain sleeves of the investment portfolio. Others, because they didn't want to pay the fees, thought they could do just as well. But what we saw uh, when we fielded the survey in 2020 and then again in 2022 is we're seeing advisors who are outsourcing pushing more out again. And that's, in my mind, that's a direct tie to the fact that they don't want to have those difficult performance conversations with their clients, especially if they're managing the money. So they're they're realizing, okay, it's not so easy to deliver a positive return in this environment. And maybe there's another firm out there better suited to do that uh, than me. And so we're seeing that that push again to third parties. Yeah, Laura, I think one of the worst excuses I've ever heard in my life as to why an advisor was going to use a third party, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, was, well, I hire third parties because that way, when the client wants to fire somebody, they're not firing me. I think that's one of the worst excuses because the reality is that's not why you use third parties because you protect yourself against being fired because you're not, you're not the one managing it. You should be outsourcing it because it buys you time, credibility, uh, it, it attaches you to an expert community of professionals who you can tap into for their knowledge base to basically help your clients with aging. Aging is a very challenging, difficult thing. When you throw money into it, it becomes even more challenging. I mean, there's really almost nothing worse than dealing with fragile uh, human psyche and then throwing money on top of it. If I was king for a day, I'd almost mandate that the Series 7, 6, 65, 63s and all the qualifying exams would have some form of psychology, not just compliance and functionality in it, because this business is becoming increasingly more challenging because of its psychological need. Um, and I think I'd like to believe that this 2064 uh, SEC proposal is maybe realizing that and saying, we want advisors to be something more than just, you know, outsourcing and walking away and going and playing golf. Maybe they're going to spend a lot of time actually being the uh, fiduciary, because there are a lot of advisors, I think, right now who are not necessarily always acting as a fiduciary. It's really sometimes acting in best interest, and that's not a knock on the industry by any stretch, but it is a, uh, it is a realization of what I've experienced. And um, again, it will be interesting to see what this proposed rule, what it ends up looking like, and not only what it looks like, but how it's enforced. Is the broker-dealer going to be required to enforce it? Uh, will the SEC enforce it for the independent uh, uh, RIAs? As they say, stay tuned. Well, Paul, here we're coming already to the end of our conversation, and it's flown by. For our listeners, if you're interested in our prior conversation with Paul, just go to the Flexible Advisor podcast, episode 46. So, Paul, as we do with all of our podcast guests, I'd ask that you leave the audience with two actual ideas. So let's make the first a direct response to the new proposed SEC rule, and then the second about what advisors should be thinking about in the terms of deepening their client relationships. I think the first and direct response to the proposed rule would be one, if you don't know there is a proposed rule, David, read <laughs> up on it. I have it on my, uh, I Googled it and I have it in front of me. I think that's important. Uh, and also to read through it and to say, okay, what, what here am I maybe in violation of? If I took this, uh, as Laura, as you said, if I took this in this worst possible light, what do I need to do right now to get myself more compliant with, with what's going to happen? 
And that's what happened with the BIC ruling. A lot of firms jumped on it really fast and got ahead of it. So I think that's the, the most immediate thing. Just read about it and see where perhaps you're falling short or perhaps where you're exceeding. Uh, I think the second one in terms of deepening client relationships, obviously, if you're following this, what more can you do? What more can you do with your client and your, and your relationship with your client? Uh, and I think the biggest thing is rather than spending a half hour with your clients two times a year, maybe you spend uh, an hour and a half with them four times a year. How do you do that? Again, you need to leverage your time. You need to outsource. You need to be efficient. You need to have relationships you trust uh, and know. Um, I think that's a more uh, a longer-term project. If you're not deepening your client relationships, and, and, and I don't think you are, if you're meeting with the client once a year, I don't, I, I don't know how you can confuse that with a deep client relationship. That's not. That's almost like a bare minimum requirement. You need to get a little better. If you're moving money around on your broker deal platform because someone told you to do so, that's an issue. And you should probably have a better uh, way of doing business. Again, the more time an advisor can spend in front of their client, two things happen. One, the client relationships deepen. There's a higher level of trust and confidence that's built. And two, there's less chance of being sued or going to arbitration. People who like and trust don't take other people to arbitration because they think they've been wronged. Even in a market like this year where the market's down, people who have deep relationships with their clients, advisors with deep relationships, are not going to run themselves into problems with underperformance or bad performance because everyone understands that if you spend enough time explaining it to them. If you haven't explained it to them, then you open yourself up to a whole can of worms as far as compliance, oversight. And I think that's what you could do right now with this pending rule is look at how you, how you uh, work with your client. What does your workflow look like? What is your process? How many touches, how do you touch all those things can be reviewed and enhanced. And we stand here at Hanlon ready to help anyone who wants to call us and say, well, how can you help me? That's what we do. We, we partner with advisors, helping them comply with things like this new ruling. Well, Paul, that's, that's, that's really great advice. And by our past podcast, you offer great information. And it, again, has been a real delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. If you're an advisor and would like to know more about Hanlon Investment Management, you can visit hanlon.com. That's H-A-N-L-O-N.com. And if you'd like to have access to more details on the race to scalability research, visit go.flexshares.com slash outsourcing. Both of these are available in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Flexible Advisor. We created this show for advisors to help them grow their business. If you like this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating, but most importantly, sharing our podcast with other advisors. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor.
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.